Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The bottom line, the most important part of any functioning business, profit after costs, expenses, and taxes. The money that the founders and investors and company get to put back into their pockets for the risk and effort they put into a business. Sounds like Business 101, right? And it kind of is. A business that doesn't turn a profit is like a freezer that doesn't make ice. It's more or less pointless. And sure, there are things like non-profit charity organisations out there, but most businesses exist to make money. So why is it that some of the biggest companies in the world are not turning profits? Why is it that they don't even plan to? The rise of so-called zombie companies, or companies that have not and have never run at a profit, are raising more and more eyebrows in the investing world. These businesses are getting too big to ignore, and by some estimates, over 10% of the S&P 500, an index of the largest companies in America, is now made up of these companies that don't serve the one central goal of being in business. What's more? is that this issue is not just endemic to a particular industry. Dozens of major companies and countless smaller businesses in every sector of the economy, from energy, retail, medical, telecommunications, and of course technology, are in this profitless boat together. So what is going on here? Why would anybody invest in a business that is unprofitable? What impacts does this apparent misallocation of resources have on the economy? And finally, will the economic fallout of 2020 show these businesses up for what they really are? This episode of Economics Explained was made possible by our fans on Patreon. If you would like to gain early access to these videos before they're uploaded to YouTube, as well as participate in exclusive Q&A sessions, which are now held every Saturday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, please consider supporting our channel at patreon.com slash economicsexplained. Now before we start ripping into these companies as blatant ripoffs, it's first important to give credit where credit is due. So, why are these businesses looking to speculators like a solid investment? Almost every business in the world starts out as an unprofitable endeavour. Everything from a corner store to Microsoft had to operate for a period of time where they were developing a product, building out infrastructure, and growing a customer base. This is to be expected as part of a regular business life cycle, but the big distinction is that most businesses will desperately try to get to a point where they break even. Breaking even simply means that the business is self-sufficient and can cover all of the costs of its own expenses and make exactly zero dollars in profit or loss. For people starting their own businesses, 
This is a really important milestone because it represents a point where the new company owner does not need to contribute their own money to keep the lights on. After the break-even point, their next step is of course turning a profit by continuing to grow revenue and minimise expenses. And for most businesses out there that do get to this point, that's where they live happily ever after. But of course, some businesses want to continuously grow because their model suits a scale slightly more grandiose than a corner store or a cafe. To do this, these types of businesses will need to attract investors that extend beyond themselves plus maybe their friends and family. That's because, unless these hypothetical founders are extremely wealthy already, they will need to access large pools of cash to develop the infrastructure for yet another new Uber rival or oil fracking operation. These funding rounds, as they're called, are normally taken out periodically when one of two things happen. Either the business grows and achieves a new goal, like let's say taking 50% of market share in a new city, or the business runs out of cash from the last investment round. Now investors are much more likely to invest into a business that has hit a growth goal rather than to invest into a company that is running low on cash. So these companies develop a growth at all costs mindset. Now all of this is still actually fine. Some businesses naturally take longer to turn a profit than others and they need cash to keep the lights on in the meantime. Medical research firms, for example, can take years to develop a new medicine and get it through FDA approval once they do, they can be in for the mother of all paydays. Nobody has any major issue with these types of businesses because they have a plan for profitability. Sure, the drug might not be made or it may not get approved, but that is just the equity risk of investing. What does concern people is companies that have no plan for profitability. Famous examples like Uber and WeWork are not waiting on the rollout of some revolutionary new product and they have all of the market share they could possibly ask for. So, what gives? How is anybody supposed to make money off this? Well, this is Uber co-founder Garrett Camp's house, which was reportedly purchased for $72.5 million. So, obviously someone is making money here. This is because different rounds of funding tend to attract different types of investors, Let's say two engineering friends develop a new system for extracting oil more efficiently. The first pot of cash a company has to get started with normally comes from these founders. They will use this money to develop a business plan, a name for the company, some fundamental technology demonstrations, and perhaps most importantly, a campaign to attract further investment. After this comes the angel investor. These are investors that are normally ex-entrepreneurs themselves that will seek out good ideas that need an infusion of cash. This money will be given for a portion of ownership in the company by selling shares to that angel investor. This cash can then be utilised to do the same thing on a larger scale. Maybe now an actual product is rolled out and some oil is dug on a test site. This market test is very unlikely to make that much money. But it will show slightly more conservative investors that hey, this technology actually works, which is where the big guns will come out. At this point, the founders can look to raise capital for the next round of funding with other companies in the industry and most importantly, venture capital firms, which are basically big investment vehicles for rich people. Now what normally happens at this point and for the first time ever, the founders will get sat down in an office and be given a choice. 
they can now sell some of their own equity in the company and that cash will not go towards business operations, but will instead go into their own personal bank accounts. Normally this is actually encouraged for two reasons. One, it allows these firms to buy into this company without diluting the ownership as much. And two, it's kind of important for the founders of now potentially billion dollar companies to look successful. More investors will need to be attracted in the future, and if the founders are still living at home with their parents, it doesn't send a great sign for the less sophisticated public. Now, this company may repeat this whole process many, many times over with part B, C, D, E, F funding rounds, and while doing so, that angel investor will probably cash out their shares as well. This is money that they can use for the next company all over again. Eventually though, these rounds are all shooting for the holy grail of business funding, an initial public offering, where the business will be listed on a public stock exchange and regular mere mortal investors will have a chance to invest their money into the company. Historically, companies have been profitable when they are listed to the public. In 2019 though, only one quarter of American IPOs were for companies that had ever turned a profit. Nonetheless, IPOs of non-profitable companies have been more palatable to regular investors because they have seen the monumental success of companies like Amazon, which famously did not turn a profit until late last decade. Outside of being more palatable, they are also more essential. Public offerings are where these venture capital firms will cash out their shares, take their profits, and get ready to do the whole thing all over again with a new company. But hold up. Investors getting rich by attracting more investors who only make money by attracting more investors, you might be thinking, hang on, isn't this a Ponzi scheme? And eh, you know what? It really does blow the line. Technically, the funds given to these businesses are being used to develop and grow the operations rather than exclusively pay out old investors, but for many companies, it is starting to look sketchier and sketchier. Nikola has famously been in the spotlight recently for attracting huge amounts of investment money through multiple rounds of funding and then a backdoor style IPO using a SPAC. We will do a video on SPACs separately, but for now just know they are a bit wild in their own right. But despite all of this money being thrown at the business, it has been revealed that they didn't even have a working prototype of an electric truck, which was their core product, and instead they just rolled an empty model down a hill to fool the general public and potential investors alike into thinking they had a working prototype. What's more is that it has been reported that the founder of this company, Trevor Milton, has had a long history of starting unprofitable businesses with no underlying value, selling it off to investors before moonwalking away with millions of dollars for having actually made nothing. Now in fairness, this might very well be one bad egg amongst a bunch, but the reality still stands that businesses should turn a profit. The central function of the free market and capitalism is that it can deliver goods and services to the economy according to what is demanded at an equitable price. These zombie companies may very well be skewing the system and producing an economy of misallocated resources. Uber rides are a cheap and reliable alternative to taxis, but would you take an Uber if they were 50% more expensive than they are now? For some of you out on the town on a Friday night, the answer would most likely still be a resounding yes. But 
a good portion of Uber's customers would likely revert back to regular taxis or use any one of the myriad of up-and-coming competitors. The reason that this is important is that the operating expenses and all of the overheads of an Uber ride are not paid for by that Uber ride. What this means is that indirectly, investors are paying up to 30% of your Uber fare for you. A product that is only used because it is heavily compensated probably shouldn't exist in a regular functioning market. Now regular channel viewers will know what happens when external forces try to artificially push prices down in an otherwise competitive market. You get a dead weight loss. I won't go over the exact economic process behind that again, but if you are interested, go and watch our video on black market economics to learn about how a dead weight loss comes to be. But for now, just know that it is bad. It represents a burden on society almost as a punishment for trying to mess with the efficient market. Fortunately for now at least, that burden is being exclusively bared by the investors, but that doesn't mean that it isn't impacting everybody indirectly. These investments could go towards genuine businesses with good products that people would be happy to pay a fair market rate for that covers the actual cost of producing that good or service. Channeling billions of dollars towards pointless endeavours denies these businesses the potential to go to market and make this happen. So the question still stands, why wouldn't investors just go for this kind of option instead? Well, the unfortunate reality is that growth-based businesses are a more stable form of madness. If Delta Airlines loses $2 billion in a year, it makes headlines as a corporate emergency. If WeWork loses $2 billion in a year, it's considered the cost of doing business. Economic downturns like the dumpster fire that is 2020 are often seen as economists as a necessary evil to weed out companies with poor fundamentals and leave a leaner, more efficient private sector behind. But in many ways, profitless companies are actually more resilient to these shocks. For starters, their shareholders don't get as antsy about a quarterly loss because that's just an expectation. But what's more, is that these kinds of companies can actually have their game plan accelerated by a crisis. So long as funding is still plentiful, these businesses don't have the same risk of going under. And in the age of the money printer going brrr, it almost certainly is plentiful. What's more, is that the goal for a lot of these businesses is to take market share. If they are competing against other companies that rely on good old fashioned profits, they are going to be able to beat out this competition during a period of reduced consumer spending. Even beyond this, a slump in prices of things like commercial real estate is a great opportunity for these cash-rich companies to buy up some locations as a base of operations for world domination into the future. Amazon has famously been buying up abandoned retail parks to use as distribution centres. With the spike in business bankruptcies, these opportunities are going to become more plentiful and a lot cheaper. All of this means that the stock market rally that we have seen since May of 2020 has been primarily fueled by big tech companies and or businesses that don't know what profit is. The idea of investing in something that doesn't make money seems like a foolish endeavour. Nonetheless, it's a reality that we're going to have to contend with because it's here and it has become hugely influential in our financial markets. What does a world look like where these businesses become the norm? Well. Hopefully they will all eventually get to a point where they become profitable and pay lots of dividends to their long-time investors who bravely battled through the naysayers. There are a lot of companies with genuine promise. 
but with anything short of a crystal ball, it's difficult to see this all having a happy ending. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on Patreon, so if you enjoy these videos, please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys, bye.